Will you bow your heads with me as we pray? Heavenly Father, we, we know that you are here. And even though we can't feel you, and even though we can't see you, and even though at times it's difficult, Lord, to, to know in our hearts that you're here, intellectually we do. And so we pray that what our mind understands, that you would help our hearts to feel. That as we open up your word and as we look at what's been true for thousands of years, we pray that you would give us fresh insight and that you would allow your spirit to work through these words to continue to shape us into the image of who you are. That what was lost at creation, Lord, we can continue to live into now so that as you continue the work of reconciliation, that we would not only be able to experience you now, but that we would be the person you created us to be. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So we continue this decade-long series in the book of Romans. I know, right? It's going forever. And I love it. And here's why. People, I, people always ask me, like, I want to read the Bible, but I don't know how to read the Bible. Can you teach me how to read the Bible? Well, you know, it's hard because it's like, well, just, just read it. You know, like, just read it. But people are like, but it's hard, and I don't always understand. So part of what this sermon series has, was initially started off as was, um, and I'll just be honest with you, pastors need sermon series because otherwise we go nuts. Um, if we have to come up with a sermon topic every single week, it's extremely, extremely challenging. Because some weeks when we experience really like tough stuff, easy. I can come up with a sermon anytime. But week after week after week, it just gets hard to have a sermon. And so part of where God was me was, let's do the book of Romans, let's lay, let's lay some Christian foundation. Um, but what it's become has been almost, you know, uh, it's been good for me because it's this studying this daily, day in and day out, has really helped to to continue to build me up in the faith, and it has challenged me at times, and, and other times it's like, oh, I already knew that. But at the end of the day, as you read a book from beginning to end, you begin to get a bigger of what the book is really trying to say. And that's what this series is really trying to do. We're just trying to go chapter by chapter so that at the end we can kind of look at the big picture of what Paul was trying to say and how that actually makes a difference in our life. And, and that's what this series has really come to be. And um, we hope that you would continue to read along, right? You can read ahead, too. Like, there's no, we're not going to take any points away if you read ahead. And um, it might actually help us to even have a better dialogue as we continue to do that. So this morning's sermon is titled, The Divine Imperative. So a couple of weeks ago, I was driving to Mission Viejo. Uh, most of you know that by now that I... I work, kind of work, as a, as a part-time chaplain at the Mission Viejo Hospital. It's an on-call position, so I'm not really there all that much. So usually my shift will start from 12 a.m. to 7 a.m. It's on-call. called, I get to sleep through the night. If I get called in, I have to go there. And usually we only get called if there's like a car accident or if someone passes away. That's the only reasons we get called out. So I remember this one particular night, I was, I need, and I need to get there within 30 minutes from the time I get called. So I'm driving there, and I, you know, I'm trying to get there as fast as I can. I had a call, and you got to be there within 30 minutes when families start showing up, and that's when they need us to be there. So I'm going, I'm going, I'm not paying attention, right? I'm just driving, and I'm, and I'm just about to get there within the 30-minute mark. And as I get close to that exit, out of nowhere, I see these bright lights in my rearview mirror. And I was like, you've got to be kidding me. Because the whole time I'm thinking to myself, I'm going to go there and I'm going to help this family. Whatever issue this family's going through, that's what I'm going to be there for. Um, in chaplaincy, one of the things they teach us is that every encounter that you have 
is a sacred encounter. So every moment that you speak to a family is actually a divinely, it's a divine appointment, and it's a sacred encounter, and they, in a sense, are allowing you to be a part of these moments in their lives that oftentimes are very challenging and difficult. So I was thinking about all the good I was going to do. I was thinking how I, I was ready. There's this prayer that I pray where it's like, God, order my steps and speak through me and help me to be your presence to this family. So I was just, I was ready. I was ready to work. And out of nowhere, these, these red and blue lights are flashing behind me. Now, I, I know most of you follow all of the laws, so you don't know what it feels like to have this behind you. But, you know, it's interesting because I was like, I pulled over, right? I tried to, I tried to be as quick as possible to pull over. And, and I was like, dang it, like, what? Like, I have to get there, comes up. And, and it's annoying because they have lights, even because once they turn the other lights on, and it's super bright, so I have to, like, flip my rear view. Both hands on the steering wheel, the windows roll down. And he's like, license and registration. And I'm like, well, I said, I can give you my, my, regis- um, my registration and my insurance, License is in the trunk in my in my bag. Can I get that? And he was like, "Well, just give me what you have." He goes back, and I'm like, "You know what? I, I know I was driving faster than 65. Fine." So I come back, and he says, "Do you know how fast you were driving?" I said, "No, I wasn't. I wasn't paying attention, and you know, I just I don't know." And he was like, "You were going 95." I'm like, "No one would believe that because sl- I'm a slow driver." I'm like, I was, I'm like, really? He was like, yeah. He goes, your license can be taken away for driving that fast. And I was like, yeah, that's, that's really fast. I'm like, you know, I really, <laughs> and I was respectful, right? Because I was like, I don't, you know, officer, I'm, I'm sorry. Actually, and, I, and I, it was kind of dumb because I was trying to be like as cool as possible. So I was like, oh, man, I didn't know I was going that fast, bro. I mean, officer. And he was just like, <laughs> he was like, why are you going so fast? I'm like, well, I'm a chaplain at Mission Hospital. And it was right at that exit, so it was believable. And I was actually exiting. I wasn't in the fast lane. And I'm like, I'm a chaplain. I got called in. And so, you know, I need to be there for the family. And, you know, we have, a, we have a death or a trauma. I don't remember what it was. And he looks at me. He was like, Gee. he's like, you should know better because you're dealing with these traumas. I'm like, I know. <laughs> but I had to get there. And so he was like, all right, I'll be right back. So he goes back. I'm like, he comes back. He goes, you understand you can have your, like he said like three times, you can have your license taken away for this. I said, look, officer, I understand. Would you be willing to bring it down to 85 miles per hour? I said, like, fine. Like, I'll, I was going to book limit. But if you can work with me on the speed, because I actually need to drive. Like, I, you know, I, I'm a pastor. I have to drive places. I have to get to where I need to go. And so he stands there, and he was like, I just want you to slow down. I'm like, I understand. I'm like, I had an old car before. It didn't go that fast. This car's new. He's like, but you've had it since March. I'm like, no, it was pre-owned. I promise you. I've had it for like three weeks. And he was like, okay, just slow down. He hands me back my information, and I didn't get a ticket. Oh, I was like, thank you, Jesus, even though, you know, he softened the, the, the officer's heart, I think. But I was guilty. I don't think I was going 95. There's no way for him to tell because he was driving. But I was like 85, maybe the most. <laughs> but I was guilty. I mean, I was guilty. We know when we're guilty, right? When you know you did it, you're like, okay, well, eventually it's going to catch up to us. I was guilty, and the officer let me go. In a sense, he pronounced me not guilty because I didn't get that ticket. I don't have to pay the hundreds of dollars that it costs to pay that ticket. 
it was forgiven. Now, I begin this sermon with this because it kind of gives a picture of what Romans 5 is going to kind of, it, it, we've been going for four, for four chapters in the book of Romans where Paul is trying to say everyone has access to the grace of God. It's not just for the people. It's not just for the Jewish people. It's not just for the people of God that God would, had, had, be, had come to them in the Old Testament. It's no longer just for them. It's for everyone who would believe. As long as you have faith, the salvation will come to you. Grace is for everyone. Paul has been hammering this and hammering this and hammering this for four chapters. And all the commentators will say that in chapter 5, he kind of brings that first section of the book to a close before he goes on to the next part. But the reason I'm sharing this story is because I understand that stories will, will stay with you a lot longer than all of the truth that I can give you this morning. Because remember, even though we are... God in God's ultimate grace and in, in his sovereignty and in God's goodness, he somehow pronounces us not guilty. Notice guilty and not innocent. So let's read this and let's break this down. And you, you're going to see kind of where we're going with this in a few moments. I'm going to go for as long as I can um, and then we'll, we'll wrap it up. So verse 1 says this. Therefore, which when the Bible writers use the word therefore, he's saying, so, as I have just stated for the last four chapters, he says, therefore, we are justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained access to this grace in which we stand. And we boast in our hope of sharing the glory of God. We've talked about justified and justification and we know that justification, in a sense, is that you are made right in the eyes of God. Now, when Paul uses this word in the original Greek, it's, it, has, it carries with it a legal sense. So you have been forgiven of your sins. But just because you've been forgiven doesn't make you a good person. Right? Just because God has, has said you have been forgiven legally, I no longer demand you to pay for the, for the consequences of your sin. It doesn't mean that all of a sudden, in the blink of an eye, now all of a sudden you're going to stop doing all of the bad stuff you were doing. Like, you're still normal and human. God doesn't just interject and then, like, switch you yet. That, that happens in the future. But just because you are legally forgiven, at this legal term where you don't have to serve out your life sentence of death, it doesn't automatically make you the person that God intends you to be. You don't all of a sudden become a moral person if you are immoral. You don't all of a sudden stop all of the sins you'd been doing just because you have this understanding. Because that's hard and that's impossible. Furthermore, what the Bible and what Paul will tell us is that even the hard work that you do to get rid of the sins within you, that's not even you. That's the work of God working through you. There, there's this word that we use in, in, in church, only in church, <laughs> and the word is sanctification. It's kind of this, it carries this sense of holiness and you become more holy and and really it's becoming more the person god intended you to be from the beginning even that work of becoming less and less sinful isn't even you but rather it's the holy spirit working in you and the reason we know this is true is if you just look at your life and look at the sins of your life and look at the, your current sins right now let's just say there's these current sins that you're i know there's only like one or two in each one of your lives but even those one and two the, even as hard as you try to get rid of those sins, is it easy? I'm asking a question. No. It's hard. 
It's difficult. But then one day you're going to wake up and maybe that sin won't be an issue anymore. And I believe that the Bible teaches is that that is God working through you and in you to erase those things in your life. Because if you are left up to your own strength, you will fail. Okay, let me, let me change that. Even if I am left to my own strength, I will fail. Let me give you a quick example. Um, every one of us know that we have to eat healthy, right? Right? Come on, you know, you should eat healthy. Makes a big difference, makes a big difference. I'm around death a lot, so trust me, eating healthy is becoming a priority for me, all right? At least two times a week, I'm, I'm sitting with the family of someone who has passed away, so I'm becoming very aware of that. And so when it comes to lunchtime, I'm like, I'm going to have a salad. Like at 10 o'clock in the morning, I'm like, at lunchtime, I'm going to have a salad. Maybe I'll have some fish on it or, you know, something healthy, and I'll get the dressing on the side. And I'll probably get balsamic vinaigrette because that's healthier than ranch or blue cheese. But then 12 o'clock comes around, and I'm just like, oh, man, I need to go to Carl's Jr. I settle for Subway. But it's like, in my mind and in my heart, I want to eat that salad, and I want to eat healthy, because I know it's going to be good for me. But if it's left up to my own willpower, I will always go somewhere else to get something else that is going to be less healthy for me. Now, I'm not saying that's sinful, but let's just take that understanding and apply it to the sins in our lives. We want to do better. We want to be better people. We want more moral lives. It's not always say. It's, what does it say? It's said than done. We'll see here in the next couple of chapters is that even the work of, of getting rid of sin, even that's God working in you. And that's important because that gives us the confidence knowing that as we move forward, we will be able to get rid of some of those sins in our lives. The stuff we're dealing with right now, we know that only God can give us the power to truly get rid of that. So you see, what's interesting is we have this tendency to make all of the Bible about us. What does this say for me? What does this say about me? What does this say about what I have to do to get to heaven? But the truth is, is that the Bible is really a story about God about God's love for humanity, about God creating people to live in the fullness of life and of us as dumb people forsaking God, going our own way, and then God still coming down and trying to reconcile us back to him. And that's where justification says, look, if Jesus hadn't come, we don't have access to God. If Jesus hadn't come, we would still be sacrificing animals in some antiquated sanctuary service. But because Jesus came, Christ now gives you access to God. And what justification means is that God no longer holds you accountable to die for your sins. It doesn't make you a good person all of a sudden. You're not going to struggle with the sins in your life. It doesn't mean that all of a sudden you're perfect. No. Paul is just saying you're not going to have to pay the Because Christ's death on the cross was enough. That death was enough for God. Now the Bible says that we have been, therefore we have been justified by faith, and we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now this is interesting, because see, for those of us who have read this, it's like, oh, that just, that sounds good. But think about this, in a relationship, why would he make such a big deal about now that now you and I have peace with God? 
ever been in a relationship that was contentious, where you was always arguing and calling each other names and just being upset with each other all the time? You long for peace, don't you? No one wants to be in a relationship where you want to kill each other. And yet, in a sense, and we're going to see in a few moments here, that when we, have, when we were in our sinful state, we were enemies with God, and there was no peace because God demanded death for your sins. But the amazing thing about God is that he took the punishment for your sins. And that was extremely costly to God. How many of you would give a son or daughter for people that don't deserve it? Would you? No. Because we would give up our son to die for people who don't deserve it and who would ultimately reject him. And yet for God, he absorbs. We are given peace. And it says that we are given access through whom, through Jesus Christ, we have peace and we have obtained access to the grace in which we stand. Now, this word access is also very powerful because the way that the word was used in the original Greek, the, the word that Paul uses, it's referring to having access to a king's inner room. Just think about it in our country, right? How many of you have been in the Oval Office um, and had a meeting with the President of the United States have, in, in any of your lifetime? I don't care who's in the Oval Office. I just want to be in there, Democrat or Republican. I don't care. Like, I would love to be in that Oval Office and just, sit, just for like five minutes and just for a photo op. <laughs> I don't care who's the President. <laughs> but you see, that, that's the thing he says, but now we have access where for a lot of people, God was removed. You know, see, in the first century, people saw God as distant, somewhere far away. But what Paul is saying is that in the person of Jesus Christ, he bridged that distance that we thought was there, and now you have access to the God who creates all things. The God who is wanting to do good in your life, you now have access to that. Before when you were sinners and before when you didn't want anything to do with God, there was no access. But now Christ has given you access to this God. And that's powerful. Because how many times in our lives do we experience things where we just wish that someone was there to help us? And the truth is, is that we now have access to God. Oh, and Paul would continue to say, and we boast in our hope of sharing the glory of God. This is a powerful, powerful passage in Scripture. Now, the Bible says that it's never okay to boast, which is just a biblical way of saying of bragging, of showing off. But Paul says here that it's okay to boast in what God has done. It's okay to be thankful to God for what he has done and to share that with people. But it's not just in words. We don't just boast by saying, praise the Lord, because that can get old quick. right? We say that all the time. I say that all the time. When some of you will tell me, all of you are really nice, so you'll say, really great sermon, Pastor. And say what? Praise God. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. I got to try to change it up. <laughs> but even that can lose meaning. If you truly want to boast in what Christ has done, in what the cross of Christ meant, if you truly want to boast and brag about that, you do so by in such a way that gives honor and glory to God. If you truly are thankful and you want to boast and brag, 
commit your life to God in such a way that every interaction that you have, you are giving honor and glory to God. Now, that sounds much, it sounds great, but it's so much harder to do in real life. Because you know that when you've been hurt, or when your husband or your wife says something hurtful, and you snap back at them, that's not giving honor and glory to God. When people cut us off in the freeways, when people at work are jerks to us, when our friends are jerks to us, when things aren't going the way they're supposed to, it is hard to boast in the glory in which we stand. And yet what Paul says is this, the really hard stuff in life, you no longer have to, you no longer have to live with the weight of having to die that eternal death. That has been lifted. Your sins have been forgiven. But now you must live in such a way that gives honor and glory to God. Which means it's not just the external things. I want you to, you've noticed that um, whenever I talk about things that are worldly, I hardly people that party, people that drink, or people that do drugs. See, it's easy for us to point to those things. And if I point to those things and I perpetuate this cycle saying those people. But if you've noticed, and I don't know if you have, what I try to say is people who are worldly are people who are selfish, people who gossip, people who say mean things about other people. Because that's the stuff we deal with. I don't know of any of you doing that other stuff, right? Parting to feel good. No, who cares about that? I mean, don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> what I want you to worry about is the deeper things. It's a, the Bible deals with why or what are the motives behind which you are doing the things that you are doing. The Bible is clear that God looks at the heart and the motives and the intention of men and women. And what Paul is saying is if your intention is to always give glory and honor to God, you will be in a good place. But if your intention is to give honor and glory to yourself, then you're on dangerous, dangerous ground. And that's hard because we live in a country that tells us, give me more attention, give me more honor, give me more glory. So to be a Christian in 2014 in the United States is actually to be countercultural to what our society tells us we must be. It's about sacrificing it's about dying to yourself, to your selfish desires, and rather putting other people ahead of you. Oh, man, we still have so much time. This is awesome. Sorry, I just noticed the time. Awesome, let's keep going. So, with that in mind, not only that, but we, okay, so he says, boast in the glory, right? So, so he's saying, look, if you're going to brag, brag about being saved Brag about God's grace and the sacrifice that Jesus had for you. Brag about those things, about how good God is. Don't brag about your promotion at work. Who cares? It's, who cares about that? Brag about what God has done. He says, and also you can brag in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint us. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. The fact that we as Christians will ultimately suffer and do suffer, it is a unique Christian notion. No other faith says, okay, go ahead and suffer. But part of Christianity, 
is that we suffer. If anyone give your life to Jesus, everything will be okay and everything will be fine. That's a lie, because that's not true. Because just look at your life and look at the loss that you have experienced. Look at the difficult things you've had to endure, the trials, the temptations. Life is hard. And here what Paul is saying is like, look, boast in God's justification because hard times are coming. And when difficult times come, remember what Christ did for you. Because when difficulty arises in our lives, it's very easy to start questioning God. But Paul says, no, we've already taken care of God is a good God. God is a God who forgives you. God is a God who is there for you. But know that suffering will come. The whole point of this, this, this passage in Scripture is that we as Christians can have hope because God did the impossible. What you go through, God will continue to work in your life. So let's break this down real quick. Suffering produces endurance. How many of you have ever worked out at a gym or gone running outside? Yeah, most of us. And, and maybe you've been out of shape. For, you know, maybe you're like, you let yourself go a little bit, and so you're like, okay, today I am going to work out, right? So what do, I don't know about women, but what do men do? We go out there, and we 500 pounds, I know I can do it again. You end up getting hurt. You have a trainer, they'll be like, yo, calm down, calm down, you're just going to start with 10 on right now, you know, you're just going to. But we try to go hard, try to, to build up our kind of endurance, small and then you build up and what Paul is saying is that suffering produces endurance just when you gym and you get stronger oftentimes the suffering that you experience in your life actually is causing you to be able to endure more and what does he say endurance produces character you see no one is once you've been saved you can saved and now you're gonna suffer <laughs> like now who wants that that's not a message of hope but remember the central story of our faith is that a man an innocent man dies and if he does that for us then in some ways we must also learn to die to our selfish desires and our wants and that's difficult right case in point when I get paid I always think of all the things I want to buy. I don't buy them because that's foolish. But sometimes it's like, man, and I've heard this often. Okay? Like, I have so many bills. To you know, the more you bigger, the more zeros, as Bob says, you have to write on that check in order to be able to give tithe back to God. It's 10%. But that's hard. And for some people, that's suffering. But also, for those of you who do give, you know how much of a blessing it is to be able to give back to God. It's like, God, I have 100%. I will give you 10%. There is something valuable about giving that up. You know, sometimes it feels like suffering because we know that bills are coming. It's not cheap to live in, Southern, in, in Orange County, okay? Sometimes it's hard to give, but sometimes even in that suffering, the more we do those little things, the more endurance we have, and the more we become joyful into giving the more we, we want to die to those selfish things in our lives, the less we have to get our point across, the less we have to be right all the time, the less we say mean things. By the way, to myself, because I struggle with all of these things, all right? Just because I'm a pastor doesn't mean that I live above any of these things. 
So understand that when I'm preaching to you and I get real passionate, it's because God has been doing that to me all week long. And I love this passage because there is so much virtue in suffering. Because suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character. In your sufferings and in your endurance, you actually become a better person. And your character produces hope. And when you have hope, you will not be disappointed. Because, and it ends with this, God's love has been poured out into your hearts. This isn't just, okay, so you got to suffer as a Christian. That's not what it's saying. It's saying that you will ultimately suffer in life. But just remember, even in suffering, that's a blessing because it will ultimately manifest itself in hope. And we know that we can have hope because Christ has given you all the hope you need. Because he has forgiven you of your worst betrayals. And now you can know that no matter what happens. A couple more minutes. Everyone's like, oh man. Okay, we're almost done. This is all in one, like one. He says, boast in what Christ has done because you have been justified. And suffering will come. But that's okay because suffering will produce hope. And when you have hope, you'll be okay. And then, and then he kind of goes back to that first section. And he says this. For while you were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for who? The people who had it all together? The people who were doing all the right things at all the right times? No, he died for the ungodly, for the wicked, for the horrible people, for the people we point our fingers to. But we are them. What Paul says is he died for the ungodly. Indeed, rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, right? So even for someone who deserves it, you're like, ah, I don't want to give up my life. Perhaps for a good person, someone might actually dare to die. But God proves his love. Again, remember, this is about God, not about you. God proves his love for us and that while you were still sinners, Christ died for you. Much more surely than now that he Now that we have been justified by his blood, we will be saved through him from the wrath of God. Remember, the wrath of God, we started saying that God demands wrath on anyone who breaks any kind of his rules, any of his commandments, right? So if you are a sinner, God's like, you deserve to die. But what we've learned is that Jesus, he takes that death. And so what Paul is saying, if we were saved by that death, How much more is Christ going to work in your life alive? So put it this way. When Jesus was dead, he defeats sin. When he's dead, right? When we're dead, what can you do when you're dead? Can you come back and haunt people? No, you're dead. When you're dead, you're dead, right? Jesus' death, he's so powerful that when he was dead, when he was out of commission, he defeats sin, power of sin. And Paul is saying, if he could do that while he was dead, can you imagine how much more Christ can do while he's alive? Because it goes back to hope. Because he is making an argument that if God is with you, no one can be against you. Not even the worst that the devil can throw at you. God's like, he's got nothing on you. Keep your eyes on me. So he says, for if while we were enemies, remember we talked about peace, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more surely, having been reconciled, we will be saved by his 
life. If God is for us, who can be against us? So here's my last analogy. How many of you, probably this never happened to any of you, but how many of you, while you are in a relationship, you guys, you know, you're having this disagreement with your husband, wife, boyfriend, girlfriend, friend, whatever, and you're like, da-da-da-da-da-da, and all of a sudden you're like, wait, stop, I can't, you know, this is wrong, we should be doing this, we're arguing over something dumb. And then you try to make like a little joke that you know is going to work on the other person, and then it works, and so then they start laughing what's happening here where it's like we were enemies with God we were like we were bumping heads with God because we decided we wanted to live for ourselves but in that moment that's when God dies for you it was in your worst possible situation that God gives his life for you and it is through that that you now are that now begins the work and, and we'll talk about sanctification in the future but that is where your character continues to be forged. And this is the last verse. But more than that, we even boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. You have been reconciled according to what Paul is saying. The way that the, the verb that is used to be reconciled and to be justified, the tense that he uses is the aorist, which means that it's something that happened in the past and has a continuing effect into the present time. So God justified you in the past, still continues to be valid to this day. And God and Christ has reconciled you back to God. If you have ever been in a relationship for his reconciliation, when that happens, you know how amazing and how beautiful and how good that feels. Because Today, as we read the entire story of the Bible, we think of ourselves as estranged from God. We don't think of ourselves as broken with God. But the truth is, is that it was broken, but once you gave your life to Christ and you accepted what Jesus did on the cross, 